Get ready for the greatest roast of all time. The Roast of Tom Brady. A Netflix live event happening May 5th. Hosted by Kevin Hart, the seven-time world champion gets his cleats held to the fire by famous friends and frenemies on an unforgettable night where everything is fair game. Tune in on May 5th at 5 p.m. Pacific time for The Roast of Tom Brady, live only on Netflix. You ready? Showtime. On May 3rd, summer starts with The Fall Guy. What are you doing later? Let's drink a spicy margarita. Make some bad decisions. Yes! Audiences are falling in love with the most entertaining film of the year. Fall guy. Fall guy. Fall guy. That's what the poster said. See Ryan Gosling and Emily Blunt in the movie critics say exists to make you happy. Trying to make it out? Nope. Because I don't either. It's not what I'm into right now. What are you into? Talking. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> the Fall Guy. Only in theaters May 3rd. Read it PG-13. Start playing with some jam in here. Let's go. This is the Orange and Back Check Podcast with Bill Kornfeld and Scott Weinhard. Yes, welcome in. It is episode 20 of Orange and Backcheck, brought to you by the DraftKings Sportsbook app, America's top-rated sportsbook app. Use promo code BACKCHECK when signing up and get up to a $1,000 sign-up bonus. Yeah, you heard me right. That's $1,000. We're in studio today. Sitting across from me is a guy who probably didn't have that big of a problem like I did, what Brandon Holpe did against the Flyers Wednesday night. And that's Scott Weinhart. How's it going, brother? Hey, man, I'm I'm great. I last week we talked about how there might be a letdown game here. It almost happened twice, but still the Flyers are on a nine game win streak. But I only Insane. have one, I, I have one question for you. Yeah, one question. Uh-huh. How's your ass feeling today? Listen, so we played hockey last night or yesterday afternoon for the first time. We met up with a couple of friends of ours. Uh, I'm full admitting I'm not the greatest skater. And when I say I'm not the greatest skater, I can barely skate at all. Like, I know the basics. I'm like the guy. I wish I remember who it was. I'm blanking on the name. But remember in D2, the Mighty Ducks, when they're going through the tryouts for the USA team? Yeah. And there's the kid that is a really, really fast skater, but he has no idea how to stop. Lewis. I'm Lewis. That's who I am. I'm Lewis. That's Pretty much on point. Yeah. 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 I mean, you were you were flying out there yesterday, but you couldn't stop. And then, you know. I, I hit some pebbles, and I almost hit our friend Mike in the head <laughs> with my stick. So I landed right on my tailbone, and I've been suffering ever since. He, it's was, been... he was skating around. You were skating around the day. I go, oh, man, my ass is killing me. <laughs> it hurt. <laughs> it hurt, man. That's a But it hurt. Oh, sure. I gotta say. It always does. It always does. But. You know, it was a good time. But then I recovered because we I fired a couple shots and scored a couple games because you don't know how to cover the put the paddle down and cover the wickets. Let's, let's not let's not talk about that part, okay? <laughs> let's not talk about. Just saying, that. man. Let's not talk about my issues but, between the wickets yesterday. Let's talk about not the issues the Flyers are having. Right. So let's. I, the first thing I want to focus on is not the Flyers' nine game win streak. Actually, the what I want to focus on is the continued in conceive about like how inconceivable it is that the the NHL looks at something what happened in the Flyers Capitals game in Brendan Holpe which I was referring to in the beginning when I believe it was Faraby I can't remember who shot the puck Konechny. it was Connectney that's right Connectney yeah. fires the puck and it's just a it's a it's a mayhem in front of the net it's a scramble and Holpe is pushed into the net he's clearly over the line of the net Mm-hmm. Konechny fires the puck. It goes into his pads, Holpe's pads. Holpe is able to push himself out of the, the net, and the refs are like, no, it's not a goal. 
but we're going to take a look at it to see. And it's like they dub it. And this is they're just following the rules, but that's to my bigger point. Like they just the the, cha- the rules have to be changed in this sense. Like they called a no goal a no goal because it was inconclusive evidence that the puck was over the net. But anyone with half a brain can look at that. Brendan Holpe in the net, like his ass is touching the net, his pads are touching the net, and the puck is underneath either his blocker, I believe it was, or maybe his leg pads. Under his leg pad, like it was underneath there. It's in the net. But under the guidance of the NHL rules, they say, no, that's not a goal. Can we just use the eye test? Like, we t- you're talking about how you're an, not an anti-analytics guy. Well, this is the ultimate anti-analytics. The puck is in the net. It's a goal. Now, I- I'm pissing in the wind at the end of the day for this particular instance because the Flyers won at the end of the day. But the bigger issue is, like, let's look at this as just common sense. Is the goalie in the net? Yes. Is the puck underneath his pad? Yes. Is the pad in the net? Yes. It's a goal. Yeah, and I think that we've complained about some of the things about the league, about some things they can do better. This is absolutely one of them. And one of the things that came up during the game was that the NHL is implementing puck tracking during the playoffs. And I would think that this is going to be an additive to the possibility of a replay. Like what, it should be like what, like you'll see it in the Premier League. They'll do the the VAR, which has its own issues. The video assistance referee has its own issues. Mm-hmm. But at the end of the day, in particular instances of a goal, they can narrow. They can literally Photoshop away all the players, the goalie, get underneath a digital look at where the ball was. Because similar to hockey, the entire puck, the entire ball has to be over the line in soccer, right? right. Just like hockey. So like I'm imagining that this is going to be that scenario where they can cut away the goalie and see and fo- and focus in on where that puck is with this tracking system, not just the statistical benefits that it's going to have to at, to to make goals more clear like the instance of Holby. Well, think of it this way, too. There's another sport out there that uses a lot of line tracking, and it's been doing it for years, and that's tennis. Yeah. If you ever yeah. watch, like, Wimbledon, which, honestly, if people won't watch that, it's fantastic. When I was a kid, they would put it on HBO during the summer. It was the coolest thing ever. Like, you and hours of my day were filled up by just watching tennis, believe it or not. On but, HBO? Yeah, back in the day they had women really? on HBO. Yeah. I didn't back know Back when I was a kid. Yeah. God, I mean, we're talking, we're talking like 20 years ago. I was say, God, <laughs> my old ass. you're showing your age. Uh-huh. Yeah, just a little bit. The point is, is that one of the things that the league needs to get better at is, is updating the technologies in regards to this. They're so behind the eight ball with this, and now they're just launching it now. Okay. Let's take a look back at 1995-1996 when puck tracks came out. Okay. Everybody hated it. To me, as a kid at the time, I thought it was one of the coolest things ever. But it was the right idea 15 years too soon. So my question is, from that gap of 1996 to now 2020, almost 25 years later, there had to be some technology that they could have invested in sooner to get into this. Why now just wait? Why until now that we, we can't? They can't say until the playoffs now they're going to use it. Well, if you had the technology available, you should be using it already. So I read the, there's an article on NHL.com that you can go and find uh, readily available. If you ju- it's on the, It was just a couple days ago on March 3rd about puck tracking and player tracking and the final testing before the Stanley Cup playoffs that you were just saying. The problem it seems that they're having, not problem, but what they're, they're facing now is this is a system. This is a very intricate system. It's not like they're just putting sensors on the players' bodies or equipment and putting sensors in the puck. It's apparently like 
they need sensors in the arenas too because it mentions in the first top of this that only 26 of the arenas so far that need it of the NHL franchises need it. So they need to get them in all all the all the arenas first beforehand. Now my imagining if they want to get it into by the playoffs, well you only need 18 or 16, excuse me. Right. You only need 16 arenas to have it at this point. So my guess is Without looking at what 26 arenas have it, my guess is all the playoff teams or the playoff contenders have it at this point. You would, you would think. So would I think. agree with you. Like, when I initially saw this, I would typically, like, especially the way there's just something. Maybe it's all commissioners of sports. You see this with Roger Goodell, especially with Rob Manfred, Manfred of the MLB commissioner with the Astros thing. There is just an arrogance about Gary Bettman explaining anything. Even when I agree with him, it's tough to just say, oh yeah, no, he's right. He should be doing this. Like I forget, I want to say it was Pierre Lebrun. Uh, I think I'm saying his name right. If I'm not, I apologize. That's it. Um, he had a, an inter- interesting like back and forth with Bettman about the playoffs, and we'll get into that in a little bit because he had an interesting theory on what he wants to see with the playoffs. But there was something interesting about when he asked him, well, why are you starting this in the playoffs? Like, why Why do you decide, oh, let's, let's – we haven't done this all year. This is the first time we've done this. We did it during the All-Star game. We're ready for the playoffs, which is – you're obviously your most important part of the season. You're this is your this is your Super Bowl over two months. To to and so why would you implement this new system that could affect the puck? Whether you think it's not you're doing all this testing with third party advocates and third party companies and testing that puck to make sure it's not interfering or changing up the style of play. Because if you add something to a puck like a sensor, it's going to change it even as minimally as it may be. It's going to change the puck and the players are going to not freak out, but they're going to have to adjust. Yeah. So why put this in the playoffs? And Gary Bettman just said, well, why not? <laughs> like, you need a bigger answer than yeah. why not? Yeah. Yeah. That, and that's just part of why everyone hates Gary Bettman and why, yes, I agree with that this is a great implement- implementation that you can do in the in for your sport because, it as, as they're saying, is we're going to be able to say the uh, – we, we can find the distance, your save percentage, from 15 feet to 20 feet compared to 6 feet to uh, to 0 feet. Like, that kind of stuff is very cool to know, like, how they're playing, how Claude Giroux was playing at the center compared to the wing, which we've said time and time again is immaculately different compared to where he is in, in, his, in his franchise, or in his career, excuse me. So why just not start this, get it perfect, and start it in 2020, 2020 season, October of this year, compared to... April. April 8th is the start of the playoffs. And here's my biggest concern about this starting in the playoffs. Like, I, I think it could be beneficial, especially when you're looking at things the other night. If there's a, a, a visual of the puck over the goal line, the only thing that's going to come into question is when when the referees whistle blue. Because how are you going to do that? Because the idea is that the current rule is that the, the referee needs to see it go over the line or if it needs to be confirmed over the line on video review, it has to happen before the whistle blows. Right. So if the referee, once they lose sight of the puck, they're supposed to blow the whistle, no matter what. If the referee can't see it, plays dead. Doesn't matter if it's sitting out there and he's on the other side. If he can't see it, he's supposed to blow the whistle dead. Well, you're also supposed to have an extra ref. There's an extra ref there's in the two. playoffs. There's two. two extra Usually ref. there's one in the back. There's, there's always two refs in every game. There's usually one in the back, one in the front. One looking at the back end of the play, one looking at the front end of the play. So the idea is, though, and then you have linesmen there who they can't call goals, or but they can do they can judge all sides, obviously, and then they can call certain penalties. 
here's the thing, though, is that if you're going to do it, you have to make sure it's perfect because it is a major thing. I mean, the last controversial goal that I can think of, actually the last two controversial goals in like a, a big playoff Stanley Cup game. Let's look at 1999 where Brett Hall's foot was in the crease. Okay? Mm-hmm. Yep. Right? The controversial, that, that, was, that should have not been a goal probably because his foot was in the crease. And the rule at the time was if you have your foot in the crease, they scored. The other one was, okay, where's the missing puck for when the Flyers lost in game six in 2010? That puck just disappeared. I'm still that, haunted by that. Everybody like, is. Yeah. Everybody is. That's a, that, was a hard, that was a hard thing to take. But the idea, is too, is that, okay, clearly we saw it go over the goal line, but the referee, you know, had blown its whistle, and that was that. It counted. The, the all, here's, my, here's my issue with this, is that you have to make sure it's perfect because you have to make sure that the referees completely understand what's going on with it, where does it overrule the referee? And here's my biggest concern. Say there is something where it's like a big scramble play, like it was in Washington the other night, mm-hmm. and it's a playoff game, and it's an elimination game for a team. You yeah. really want to hang just argue, like, just, a team's whole season yeah. on, on a video review like Not that? Not even an elimination game. Just call it a game seven. Yeah. Put, put it in the crux of a game seven. Like You want to put that on you? Yeah. You want to test out the technology in a game seven? And when, when two teams' seasons are literally in, in the balance of one game? So that's my that's my question with it is that why are you starting in the playoffs now? You should have started at the beginning of the season right. or you wait till next season. You don't implement new technology for the playoffs. You no, don't. Agreed. You don't. You have it because that way everybody's used to it. Because if something goes wrong, two things are going to happen. You're going to piss off the players. You're not going to trust it. And then you're going to piss off the fans because of someone's someone's season is going to be maybe ruined off of it or something along those lines. 100%. So the idea is why are you implementing it in the playoffs and not at the beginning of a season when all 31 teams can take advantage of it at the same time and have a full season of experience with it? And a preseason. Like the, yeah, the preseason, fair enough, like fair the, the pre, no one watches the preseason. Like we barely watch the preseason. Let's be honest That's with true. ourselves. Like it's a split squad thing. It, like you have all these farm system players from the the, the QHL and the AHL and all of these minor league hockey league, the WHL. So like, just get it in, get it in the minor league system first. If yeah. like no one get it in the AHL, then work your way up. Like this is like. What the NHL continues to do time and time again is have a really, really good idea. Like, this is a good idea at the end of the day. And then they try and execute it, and it's like the toddlers tripping over themselves trying to run the asylum. That's a great analogy. That's a great analogy. And, like, you can go back to even Foxtrack back in the 90s. Like, you know, not to to go back that far again, but the point is, is that that was such a novel idea. Yeah. That was before first down markers in football. Way before. That's before even when team when when and stations and sorry, when networks had the box in the top left hand corner of the score of the running clock of all game long. That was before that. So the the idea was novel. The yeah. technology wasn't there because it was literally like a giant disc inside a puck that would die after like two or three minutes. Yeah. And so like it was so expensive. But yeah, I think of this is that it just seems like to me is that while it's a novel idea, there, there's going to be another drawback to this that I think that teams are going to start relying too much on the analytics of it. I mean, if you look at some of the screenshots and some of the videos they put out, you have one that's like, okay, a pass angle of X at this X miles an hour will get this pass right across to here. Now, human brain can't comprehend, oh, well, skate up here, put it at a 17% puck angle, and then fire it across 22 miles an hour. I doubt it would get that extreme, but there are people who will probably be like that 
and say, okay, well, if you have this technology, you know, you could probably set up more plays. But really, ideally, while it should be a tool, I'm concerned that it might be leaned on a little too much again. And yeah. maybe because, it, look, I'm not an analytics guy. I've said it from day one, and I never will be. I won't. I, I can see some value in seeing how fast a player is skating as opposed to somebody else, where he's out on the ice, if he's taking the right routes and showing it from coaching angles. But as far as, like, utilizing to evaluate a player, so to speak, I have a feeling that, that this is where that might be headed using this technology. And I feel like that might be a bit of a problem going forward with some of the other things we talked about with player movement and stuff like that because, oh, this kid, he's just so fast. Like, you know, if we can teach him this and all that stuff, I just feel like that there could be possibly more harm to the game done using this stuff than it can in a positive manner. Well, look, I'm always going to be the guy that says if you can find a way to improve the Philadelphia Flyers or X team, your team, you shouldn't just dismiss it right away. Fair like, enough. like I, Fair I, I agree I'm, with that. I'm always going to be that guy that agrees with that. However, the way that I'm reading this, and this is – from the NHL.com, so take it with that grain of salt because it obviously has that NHL spin. Like, it just seems like this is a way to enhance the NBC broadcast, the local broadcast, the regional broadcast of these teams to enhance the viewer experience. That would be awesome. And that's exactly what they need to be doing, in my opinion. Like, this is a – like, there's no question the Philadelphia Flyers, for example, now they're getting a bump because they're, they're getting a lot of heat. Uh, they had a lot of attention over the last like month or so because of how well they're playing and how poor the other teams are. You're still waiting on the six, or the, excuse me, you're still waiting on the Phillies to get started. The Sixers are a total uh, dumpster fire right now in terms of where they're, what's happening with them. So the Flyers are the team. Yeah. You're hearing them finally on Sports Talk Radio a little bit, but it just seems like any way that you can it, it, it enhance the viewer experience to draw in your uh, players or drawing your fans, it's going to be a good thing. And that seems like this is how it's going to be pitched. And I think that and we've talked about there were ways that the NHL needs to become a better TV sport. Like, look, when you talk to anybody, they, nine times out of ten when I talk to people and they say they don't watch hockey on TV, they love going to games because it's so intense. But they can't watch it on TV because of one reason. They can't see the puck. Right. Fair enough. Okay? I'm not saying go full Fox track. But I'm saying, like, they probably – could you benefit a little bit something, a little marker on the puck of where it's at you kind of see where it's going? I don't disagree. And I, I think that that could enhance and actually bring in more viewership, and I think that could be very, very good. I also think, as I mentioned, is that it may be they can use it to kind of coach the fans a little bit too. Like, mm-hmm. the best thing to be able to do is that be able to go and say, okay, this player took this route from here and why he's here, and if he's not there, maybe he should be X instead of there. Bring back the telestrations kind of things like that. They don't really do that much anymore. That would be very helpful. If you look at the NFL and you look at the MLB, the NFL will have a speed mark on how fast someone is running down the field, a ball tracker going over top of it. All that stuff's already implemented. Baseball, same thing. Gabe Kapler's love it or hate it launch angle on a baseball. Mm -hmm. When you hit that, you can actually see on the TV where that ball was going and the angles they have. The networks have that technology. The NHL's far behind on it, though. Now... Because the NHL has marketed itself more as a local sport rather than a national sport, so to speak, that actually might be beneficial for them. But at the same time, too, it's not the right time to launch it now. It, the right time we launch it would be beginning of next season, have this whole big thing over the summer, and get everybody saying, hey, guess what's coming next season? Check out these things. Look what's going to be cool in the broadcast. Like, I feel like they're rushing this out because they have it, 
instead of using it the right way and taking the opportunity to market with it, what they, they don't do because they suck at it. And right. they've sucked at it for the last 20 friggin' years. And they've spent years on this. This isn't like something they started in the summer of 2019 after mm-hmm. the Blues winning the Cup, and then they said, hey, let's add this. This has been a years-long project. Right. So Millions of dollars. That's my point. So you're investing so much into this, don't rush it out. Now, yep. internally, they may feel, okay, we're ready to launch this stuff during the playoffs. And maybe they are. But maybe. that doesn't – maybe they are ready to go. Obviously, they're not because – at the same time, they're not because they have more arenas they have to get this in. There's only right. 26 arenas. Right. They have it. Wait till everybody has it then. Wait till everybody yeah. has it. Wait till everybody has it. That's my point. And market it saying, hey, coming next season, this is what he has. The cool thing they could have done, and maybe they'll do it this way. Maybe it won't be – they might be using it during the playoffs, and maybe they might be advertising it for next season. Maybe we're getting a little ahead of ourselves here. Yeah. But the point is is that – Let's not rely on that technology during the playoffs. Use it to test it, and that might be it. So mm-hmm. that 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 would be my, that would be my thing. So, well, let's talk about specifically the Philadelphia Flyers' chances of, of the playoffs. Like, it's no question they're making the playoffs at this point. I think like it would take an absolute collapse. Like they haven't clinched. It would take an absolute collapse for this team to lose a playoff spot. There's Maybe. a couple. There's a couple interesting scenarios that are coming out. Uh, in terms of all of a sudden now they have a legitimate shot at winning the Metro. They are virtually tied with the Washington Capitals at, uh, right now, depending on uh, there's the new fran- there's the new tiebreaker where they value the regular uh, regulation wins over the regulation overtime wins. The Flyers and Capitals are tied with the regulation wins, and the Capitals have one extra win in a non-shootout regular, in the yeah. extra five they, minutes. They've had that for a couple of years, and that's yeah. what we've talked about before is that the 3-2-1 system might be better suited for the NHL than what they have now. Yeah. Because think of it this way. If you have three points available for a game, okay, you have three points. three points. You don't need to go this, oh, well, they're tied in points, but because one team has more regulation wins than the other, then we have to look at it that way. Nobody cares. Right. Frankly, nobody gives a flying crap. The no. idea is – a 3-2-1 system, we don't have that problem. And not to digress, because I know that they're tied basically for first right now in points. Mm-hmm. But they they're, wouldn't be. Right, they wouldn't be. But that's the point, is that if they had a three-point system, you have three points available for a regulation win, yep. two points available for overtime or a shootout win, and one point for a uh, a loss. Or even do something where— An overtime loss. Right. Or, if you really want to go this way, because it, it's still three points available. So, even yep. so you lost or lost in a shootout or overtime, you want the 60 minutes tied, you should get a point out of that. Yep. That's the way I look. You played a regulation game and you did not have a winner, you should still split the point and then the extra point is up for grabs because that way then it really separates teams in the standings mm-hmm. because then it just makes things less murky, which it, it's such a simple idea. I don't know why teams don't do it. Yeah, th- it, it's like ipso facto, they are one point separated because of how they do the tiebreaker, but it's just not labeled as a one-point difference. Correct, and I, I don't mean to digress there, but it's something that – that does not make common sense to me, and it's right. something where, yes, like, as cool as it is, the Flyers are in second place, you want to see them in first technically, like, like it doesn't matter. that They're exceeding expectations so far by everybody this season that everybody in Philadelphia is talking about them. Yeah. Everybody's going cup crazy about them. So here's my thing. I mean, I'm glad you brought that up because I wanted to go with matchups, but so let's just say that they're going to play Penguin, the Pittsburgh Penguins right now because that's that's who they're going to match up against in the 2-3 spot, and they'll have home ice, which I think is huge, especially with how well Carter Hart is playing at home. Right. Um, I heard someone say that they thought that this team was 
exceeding expectations in the sense of they were really a year or two away from contending to this point. I totally disagree with that sentiment because, like I've said time and time again, all they had to do was make a coaching change. They added Kevin Hayes. They added Matt Niskin in and Tyler Pitt, like in these minor – Kevin Hayes and Matt Niskin being the two big names. Like, this roster has always had the talent. It has. And the the way the, to look at the way this team has been constructed, they had some holes, and some holes are glaring and are already tight division. And, you know, it, it was one thing or the other that their defense when they had Andrew McDonald was a little bit worse than it was now. But they still mm-hmm. had Provrov and Haig and Gostaspare. The whole thing is is that those guys were still kind of young. And we touched on this at the beginning of the season. They were still younger. They didn't quite have the experience yet. I think it's not so much was the coaching. I don't think that Haxtell – Haxtell was more about player development. I don't think from what I've seen with Dave Haxtell, he was a very good in-game coach. I don't think that Berube – had enough, I should say, not experience, but I don't think that Baruby had the pulse of this team right. like he did when he what he did with the Blues last year. Finding the right coach is important for any team, mm-hmm. but I think there is a balance here too because while Elaine Vigneault has to get a lot of the credit here for what he's done, let's look at who else is on the bench with him. Let's look at Michael Terrian or Michelle Terrian, however they want to pronounce it, and <laughs> it let's look French. at yeah, and, and Mike Yo. And, and let's look at those guys. Mike Yo is the most interesting one. It is. He's got that tie to Chuck Fletcher. But this whole – these guys were all NHL head coaches. Like, these yeah. are all guys with a lot of experience around their own teams or anything like that and, and went to good times and bad times. I mean, the whole thing is, though, is that I think that they have the right staff on here to get the most out of this group, meaning that they we talked about it last week. And we're not to keep bringing up the same things every week, but – Let's look at Jake. Jake played a great game last night, even though the team didn't play well against Buffalo. You know, overall, they're getting what they needed to squeeze out of this group, which I think that probably that Haxtell wasn't able to do because he was more focused on development and seeing a rebuild through. Which is interesting because that's a that's a classic college hockey coach mindset. Yeah. Developing players, and that was his detriment. Yeah. Like if he, but that's what Hextall wanted. That's why Hextall right. went out and got him because he saw the way he could develop players. Yep. But – Yet again, that doesn't mean it's going to transfer to the NHL. It didn't for Dave Haxtell. Again, you could talk about Craig Berube beforehand. Craig Berube couldn't get the mess out of this club when they also had a lot of problems with injuries and guys who weren't producing as well. Craig Berube couldn't get the most out of this club, which is why that. Peter Laviolette did. Peter Laviolette got a lot out of this group, the, even the current group that's even here, the couple years he was here. Yeah, what? Well, actually, that's, an, that's a question I thought of uh, last night. Like, what would this team, because I think LaViolette is the best example currently, because I, I, I don't like living in the past, but I yeah. think it's a fair question. Mm-hmm. Like, if if LaViolette had gotten, is the new head coach, let's just say he was fired by Nashville prior to this season. Obviously he was, but let's just, for sake of argument, instead of Vigneault, it's Peter LaViolette. Do they same, Do they get the same results? I don't think they no, do. I don't think they do. I really don't. I think that it's just a different approach. I think that, and this goes from, the tops of the Flyers organization. Over the years, you've seen guys who always had some sort of tie to the organization coming in here and doing kind of the same thing. Look, when Bobby Clark left, it was Paul Holmgren who was already here. After Holmgren, it was Hexel who was already previously here and had ties to the organization. And we take a break from the Orange and Backcheck podcast to thank our presenting sponsor, DraftKings Sportsbook. It's conference tournament time, so you have plenty of selection on big college hoops matchups from the 
big conference tournaments into figuring out who's going to win the big tournament at the end of March into April. Uh, We'll know who's going to be in by Sunday. But what I know right now is DraftKings Sportsbook, America's top-rated sportsbook app, can get you in on all this college hoops action. As the madness begins, DraftKings Sportsbook has great promos and odd boosts happening all this week for the conference tournaments. DraftKings Sportsbook is a, a completely safe, and secure betting app. You can deposit and withdraw your funds at your convenience anytime. It's no wonder that DraftKings Sportsbook is America's top-rated sportsbook app. Here's what you got to do. Download the top-rated DraftKings Sportsbook app now and use promo code BACKCHECK. For a limited time, all new users can get a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Yeah, you heard me right. DraftKings Sportsbook has a sign-up bonus up to $1,000. Don't forget, just enter the code Back check and get your sign up bonus up to $1,000 only at DraftKings Sportsbook. You got to be 21, Pennsylvania only, in partnership with Meadows Racetrack and Casino. Bonus comprised of a first deposit bonus and a first bet match, each up to $500. Deposit bonus requires a 25 times playthrough. Restrictions apply. See DraftKings.com sportsbook for details. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. And that one just felt different, the Hextall hire. Uh, it because was a rebuild. He was a rebuild guy. He was a rebuild guy. He had already won a cup in L.A. as an assistant general manager. So it was felt just – Felt like he could do the same thing Felt here. like he could do it exactly. Yeah. And it just like he – but then when he got here, it just was a – he had the three phases, like the rebuild, stocking up on draft picks, the – I forget how he labeled it, but I know the third phase was the go time. He labeled it as go time. And, like, everyone wanted the go time to be last season or a season prior because you had Carter Hart, who was playing so well uh, in, in in the juniors. So everyone was like, why aren't we playing? Why aren't we doing this now? And Hextall's player development style was the detriment to him because you saw just waiting it out wasn't, what people wanted at that point. Here's, I think it comes down to this. There's also thinking this. Let's take a step back here and let's take a look at the entire situation. Okay, when Hextall came in, Ed Snyder was still basically in control of the entire thing. Ed Snyder saw that and understood that this team had to go through a giant rebuild in order to be competitive for a long time. There were going to be some down years here. Mr. Snyder passes away, Okay. Then it's Comcast coming in, really, and taking the entire thing over fully and owning the team and wanting to go about it in a different direction. I think that from my perspective, looking over this whole situation, is that last season was really such a frustrating season for the fans. Really, it was. Because people wanted to see this team compete because they had not won a playoff series since 2012. They had not been legitimate since 2012. We hammer on 2012 all the time, but really it's been almost eight years that Philadelphia has not seen a cup contender. Regardless if they made the playoffs in 14, 16, and 18, it did not matter. The whole point is, is that they were not good enough to really get into the hearts of fans here. So Hexel wanted to see it through. He thought he had the blessing to see it through. But yet again, at the end of the day, money talks. Yeah. And when people stop renewing yep. their season tickets, guess what? They know they have to make a change. Yep. But you have to give the Flyers brass complete credit for doing this. Is that they didn't go get a retread. They didn't put Holmgren back in charge. They didn't put a Bobby Clark in charge. They didn't take anyone with ties to the organization. They got Chuck Fletcher. His dad, Cliff, 
I don't think he worked for the organization, but he was well-known in the circles. I believe that Bobby Clark had worked with him at some point, so they had some familiarity. Oh, and actually Chuck Fletcher interned with uh, – he got his first NHL job um, uh, with Bobby Clark in Florida. So that's really the only tie there. It's really Chuck Fletcher made his own career in Minnesota. Yeah. So the whole idea is you're bringing an outside voice. You can really look at this not from a Flyers perspective and say, okay, this is your hockey team. This is what's going on. Any business would do this. If a business comes in and they don't know how to do something, they bring in a consultant to kind of point things out, and then you make the change from there. Exactly what Chuck Fletcher did. Then, at the same time, what you do is that you bring in a coach who's established. You don't bring in a development coach like Dave Hacksaw. You don't bring a first-time head coach in like Craig Berube. They handled the situation right, right way by saying, hey, you know what? The best guy on the market who's got the experience, who can has a proven track record, is Elaine Vigneault. You bring him in. And then, on top of that, you go and you get an established coaching staff. You get a guy like Michelle Terrian. Or Michael Tarrant. However we're going to pronounce it, I'm going to do it every single time. <laughs> so you go out and you get a guy like that who has a lot of years of experience as a head coach. Okay, Then you go get Mike Yo, who has a lot of experience as a head coach. And you basically put them on one side of the ice, I'm sorry, one side of the ice and the other side of the ice and saying, okay, run your, do your thing. Like, run your ship. Elaine Vigneault, then talk. I know that they're all sharing ideas and how they can get things out of it, and it's very collaborative, you can tell. And that's exactly what they needed to do. They have guys near where it doesn't matter where you have a, a younger assistant coach or anybody listening to a first-time head coach. It's three guys who be like, yo, you're going to listen to me because we've done this before and we're trying to get the best out of you. Yep. So if anything, can I say that if, to go back to your example, if they brought in a guy like Livy, would that happen? No. This probably would not happen, and reason why, they would be competitive, I would think, but not as good as they're playing now, gutting games out, because of the staff that they have that's established enough where these guys know what they need, and they know what this team needs to get it done. And, and frankly, you know, this is a really, really good situation. I have to look down the line a little bit. I just hope after the season that some of the staff can be retained because other teams looking are going to look at Michael Terrian or Michelle Terrian and say, okay, he's got a lot of experience. Look what they did with the Flyers. Let's bring him in. Mike Yo might be another one. He's a younger guy. Like, he's got some experience there. That might be another. They, they might fish him. So expect a situation like it was with the Eagles. Say bye-bye to the Frank Reichs of the world and say might say goodbye to this, and it might be a little thing with that. Like, it's along the same lines. So, um yeah, but that I don't think that this would happen under another coach. I, I think agree. that the staff is right and the, and the conditions are right and the players are responding well enough to where it's nice to see this again. They're responding well enough to have a nine-game win streak. Yeah, I mean, yeah. I mean, like, look, look at the troubles they had. They were inconsistent a little bit during the beginning of the year. And they still are showing flares of those inconsistencies. They're still that's, that's the ebb and flow. That's going right. to happen. So, like, oh, let's focus on these last two games because we talked about the Capitals earlier, and that was what their best win of the week. They struggled out of the gate for about a period and a half against Carolina. They struggled out of the more than the gate. I would say two and a half periods almost despite getting a couple goals uh, against Buffalo a, a night ago. Like, the fact that they're able to st- have these slow starts, and fortunately they're having these slow starts against teams that are on the playoff fringe or nowhere near the playoffs in, in, in terms of Buffalo. But – they're not laying down and folding like a lawn chair. And that's credit to these this coaching staff because, like, there's no doubt in my mind, especially – and they went down one nothing against Washington. When they go down last year, 
they would lose 5-1, 6-1, 7-2, whatever it may be. Like, now they're winning these games. Like, they come back to Washington and they win against Washington and they win 5-2. They come back uh, and they play a solid game after getting their feet straight against Carolina and win 4-1 and then obviously 3-1 the other night. And it all starts with the goaltending. It does, and it works its way out. I mean, this team is playing with confidence right now. Carter Hart is playing ridiculously well. And you got to give credit to Brian Elliott, too. When he's stepped in and he's needed to play, he's played very well and, as well. And I'll, I'll give you credit. Uh, like I was critical of the decision to give Elliott the nod against the Washington a couple nights ago because, like we talked about last week, this is the crunch time. This is the biggest moment of Carter Hart's career. No matter what happens in the playoffs, this right now between games – I believe next week is game 70 or 69, whatever it may be. Like, or uh, the Boston game. Yeah, it's 69. Game 69, like, and on, like, this is the go time for... This is the stretch. This, this is, is this is the march to the playoffs, no pun intended. Right. Like, Carter Hart is about to get a workload that he's never had before. No, he, it's going to be a learning experience for him. And that's, so that, why, that's why I'm glad that they're... Remember we talked about at the beginning of the year, it's like 50 to 55 starts for him. Yeah, it looks like it's going to end up about that way, even with his with his injury. So he's at forty two right now. So he's looking not, at yeah. So he, I mean, so he, he'll get about the fifty starts that he needs. And but he's going to fresh. But uh, he, like I want, like I was critical just because I wanted him to play against these top tier teams, Washington. I'm sure if if he doesn't get either Boston or Tampa, I'm a little concerned at that point. But. I'm. I don't have that concern because I think Av knows this. Knows what he has to lean he's on. He's going to have to start against Boston. Right. There's just no question in my mind. He's going to have to start against Boston. They're the top team in the East. Um, technically, I mean, I see flaws in their game, but they're right now they're 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 humming along right now. Yeah. I. But going back, like you said that you were being critical about the, the Elliott start. Mm-hmm. I thought it was a great move because you got to keep Elliott sharp too. Because what yeah. if Carter Hart gets hurt? Look, he got hit with a puck last night and he went down for a little bit. And as he and said, it was a little scary. He got and as he, I think he told Jordan Hall, like, yeah, it was right in the nuts. Yeah, like, exactly. Like it, that they take your breath away. Yeah, trust that, me, I've had it happen to me. It happens to me probably once a month. I yeah. swear to God. Well, maybe if you put your paddle down and put the cover the five hole, you're gonna have this problem. Listen, listen. All right. I, I don't want to hear it because your ass is still hurting because you're wearing <laughs> skates from a 12-year-old, so I don't want to hear it. So, anyway, the point is, Elliot's got to stay sharp, too. I I would not be opposed. I would not be opposed to giving – I wouldn't say Elliot. I'd rather see him play Boston, but the thing is that we saw Carter Hart struggle against Tampa earlier this year. Give Elliot a start against Tampa. Keep him sharp. Like, yeah. keep him sharp. Like, chances are – like, look, see, if they won nine in a row – one of these two, they're likely the going to drop. If, See, they, if they, they're not going to get any further than 10 I, if they get that far. I would actually go the other way. I would give Elliott the start at home against Boston. Give Hart the chance against uh, Tampa because you're already 0-2. You haven't beat Tampa yet this year. You're having good success against Boston right now. Hart started both of those games against Right, Tampa. that's true. So maybe you're leaning on a little bit of confidence because, one, you're at home again. Not just Carter. Both of the this entire team is just unstoppable at home. I think they have a top three, possibly better record now than Pittsburgh at home. Like they are unstoppable at home. So you can you can give Elliott the nod, and it wouldn't be that big of a step back at home over Hart. So I would give Hart the start because chances are, if you win, if your eyes are set, let's say that their goal now. Their initial goal was to be just playoff contenders, win a round or two, mm-hmm. or win one round. Now, if they have set internally 
just their internal goals of let's make the Eastern Conference Finals. Chances are you're playing Tampa because like because you anticipate I'm along right, now. right so Tampa is going to be so let's give Tam, let's give Carter Hart that chance to play against Tampa, get his confidence going against Tampa specifically for down the line in the playoffs. I would go Elliott on Tuesday night against Boston in in Philly, and then see what happens in, against Carter Hart in Ooh, Tampa. You, you want to put that? I'm confident. I, I, that, I, that home record though for Carter Hart, though, I man. Know. It's, it's he has 20 wins at home, but listen, like you're at a point where you can sacrifice one game, like you uh, have a cushion. Yeah, I'm not yeah. saying to get crazy with it. Like you, you, you also have a back to back this week against Minnesota and Edmonton, uh, both at home, fortunately. So you can look at that Tampa game or that Boston game and say, there's something here that, that I want to test a few things. Test Elliott against Boston. See what he does because chances are you might be playing Boston at, in the Eastern Conference Finals. Because, again, how ridiculous this playoff system is, yeah. you're not playing either of these teams in their current makeup until the Eastern Conference Finals. Yeah. If you take a step back and become the wild card, yes, you might be playing them. But let, like, let's just assume that it's going to be a Philly Pittsburgh matchup in that first round. Mm-hmm. Then you're playing the winner of the Washington Wild Card game. Yeah. So, yes, I say because you have success against Boston, Carter Hart specifically, give Elliott the start on Tuesday night. And then because Hart is struggling against Tampa, give him the start in Tampa. Put up or shut up, man. Like, this is like you're, you also have a little bit of wiggle room because you're there's only you're at game 69 against Boston, you're at 42 starts. So Carter Hart has a little bit of leeway. Like I said a little bit less. I said 45 to 50 starts, I believe. So, like, you have a little bit of wiggle room here. Like, it's not the end of the world to see what Hart can do against Tampa. Okay, fair enough. I'll take that. I have no response to that. I really yeah, don't because I think, I, I think it's fair. But, yet again, I think that it's still going to be Carter Hart against Boston and against Tampa. It, it, it could be Carter Hart in both. I mean, it, it really it, could, it be. could be. Like, like that's not out of the possibility. No, but I think that Elliot, if, if the trend keeps going the way it is, is that Vigneault seems to want to keep Elliot sharp enough. So mm-hmm. that's why he played him against Washington, which for me, when I heard that, I was like, wow, okay, that's really showing me that it's, uh, Carter Hart's going to be the guy going to the playoffs. He's got to keep his Put back it this up way, sharp. too. I wouldn't be shocked. Like, you give Elliot the start against Boston. And then you give him Minnesota as well. Nah, I don't think you do two like that. You don't no. think he would get two? No, I think no. because because it's a back to back though. That's where I look at it. Like, are you going to put? Because there's no back to back games in the playoffs. It's similar to the NHL or the NBA, unless there's a certain cases when it's a game seven scenario. Yeah, usually, sometimes in between game six and game seven, they'll have a back to back, but they're rare. They're very they're rare. rare. The NHL's really so, the job to schedule them a day apart. Right. So they're actually good with that. But like, so why not give? If you're not going to start. Or in my scenario, where you start Elliott against Boston, Carter Hart gets Tampa the next the uh, night and a, a night later or two nights later. Like, why wouldn't you give Elliott an Edmonton or a Minnesota? Uh well, I mean, listen. just because that's a back to back. That's their back to back this uh, week. I'll tell you what. I mean, it could be something where. I mean, look, I don't want to digress in who's going to be going back and forth as far as the goaltending goes. Like into that, what I know mean, is that. Likely, if it's a back-to-back, it's going to have one's going to get the start. I would put Carter Hart against Edmonton, and probably against Minnesota would probably be Elliott. You know, it's weird. I had a dream last night too about that Edmonton game. I swear really? to God, yeah, specifically, and that the empty that the Flyers went a five nothing wound up losing six five. God, I. As, as weird as it sounds, yeah. I woke up this morning like they didn't play Edmonton recently, and I'm like literally like okay, this is how well they did have I'm a tough loss. About the Flyers. Their loss, their their they 
the, they lost to them in Edmonton well, this season. They got blown out. out. Blown 6-3, I believe, that loss And they was. have to go against Connor McDavid and Leon Dreisaitl. And as well as that defense is playing now, that's going to yeah. be a test for them. I it didn't really realize, is. before we wrap up and give our predictions of the week, like that Dreisaitl contract, Edmonton must be doing backflips. That is a very team-friendly contract for a guy that is putting up the production numbers that he is. That's because he plays with Connor McDavid. Right, and it's like, my gosh. It's so, like, I would, like, ugh. If the Flyers had, like, the Flyers don't have anything like that, but at the same time, because they're rolling four lines, and that's one of the biggest differences, too. They're actually yes. able to roll four lines, mm-hmm. and why they're not being as, as, as hurt by the back end of a back-to-back. God. The Flyers were able to do something like that. They would be absolutely unstoppable under this current franchise, under this current regime. They would. And, you know, the way I look at it is this, is that I've said it all season long, and I will continue to say it. The two best players in the league, really, Drysaddle and McDavid, are going to spend most of their career out on the West Coast, and nobody's going to watch them. Nobody out here is going to be able to see them. And I'm telling you, as I've said it before, and I will stick by this until it's proven wrong, they are the next Gretzky and Messier. Like, those two are the most ridiculous pieces of talent. Pieces. People. People. I can't even get my words right. They have the most talent that I've seen come out of that team in 30 years. Yeah. I mean, it's it's insane. And they only have 82 points. Make- That's what's weird, too. They have 82 well, points on the year. and here's why. They're a bit of a younger team. They have issues on their back end. Their goaltending is average. But the thing is, is that if these two get going in the playoffs, who's going to stop them? Right, there's no one. Nobody. No nobody's going to stop this team. So there are four games on slate for this week, including a back-to-back against two, uh, excuse me, against two Western Conference teams in Minnesota and Edmonton, as we just talked about. Um, I think this is the week that it all ends in terms of the streak. Uh, they're going to stay there. The Flyers are going to be at this point. I've adjusted my expectations. I think they're going to end as that two, three seed. One of those two is going to be battle between them and Pittsburgh. If they somehow win the Metro more power to you, like good for you. I'm not going to stop you, but, uh, like this, this slate, like not just because like we always call about the letdown game, like we called the the Buffalo game, a letdown game, like, just the fact that it's a gauntlet this week. Boston, yeah. then Tampa, then Minnesota, who's on the fringe playoff. They're fighting for a playoff spot out in the wild card spot in the Western Conference. And then Edmonton, obviously, who's the top spot in their in their division. It's just like this is the classic week where it doesn't fall apart, but it's a average week. Like uh, This is going to be four points maybe if they're lucky. <sighs> I wouldn't go that low. I mean, but let's take a look at the week. They had a really really good win in Washington where they played very very well. Washington's been inconsistent lately. They beat Pittsburgh yesterday. They beat them 5 to 2 actually. Um and uh, in fact, go back to your tracking thing. It's funny. There was one play in a game where they thought they scored but the defenseman threw the uh, threw the net off the moorings. Oh yeah. Got a yeah, penalty yeah. and there was no goal out of it. But yep. Uh, I thought I would add that because I was thinking about the puck tracking thing. But anyway, sorry, I digress. Um, the whole thing is on the schedule this week is like let's Washington had a good win. Carolina they didn't play over really well. They won four to one, but going against an AHL goaltender like Alex Nedeljkovic, mm-hmm. uh, you know, I think I said his name right that time. Um, so <laughs> it, it's I don't think they played overly well. And, but yet again, too, both teams are very good at limiting shots to the net. Um, I don't think that the Flyers created a lot of great scoring chances. Yeah. But with the ones they did, they cashed in on, and there was a couple that Nadal stopped that he shouldn't have. 
I thought they got pucks in them, but I don't think they've played as well as they could have. But that could have been because Carolina was also in a desperate situation. They're they're in a slide. They're in a heavy slide. They're sliding out of the playoff race. Um, and Buffalo last night, probably the weakest game they've played in a month. I don't I don't think they played a worse game in in a month. They I they I didn't see enough speed. I didn't see enough. Um, I didn't see enough good scoring change generation. Uh, you know, beating a team like Buffalo just three to one. The, the one play that really put it away was that play by Joel Farabee, where the you know Carter Hutton came out to play it, and Joel Farabee just forechecked him. And yeah, that's exactly th- it. And there was they, there were luck games, but some of those games, like okay, if you have a down game and still win, it still shows you're a pretty good team. Yeah. But the thing is, I look at it this way: Buffalo's a team that's kind of out of it or playing more loose. The Flyers are going against top talent this week, and there's absolutely no question that this team has stepped up to the teams who play top talent. Yep. So if you want my view, you're going to get it anyway. But the whole point is, <laughs> is that I think actually this could be a six point week. Yeah, and that's... I, I think it could be a six point week. I think they can beat Boston. I think they can beat Tampa, and they have to beat Tampa at some point. They have to. They've beaten Boston already. They have to beat Tampa. They're having great success against Boston, too. Yeah, but in the shootouts. And Boston right. has, has won, lost a bunch of shootouts. They, so, they haven't won any. Yeah, that's the point. Yeah. Like, they've been terrible at it. They've, yeah. they've taken the Flyers' place, places the worst team in the shootout this year. Yeah. So, you have to beat Boston, but you have to beat them in regulation. Uh, that's the way I look at it. Yeah. If you win in a shootout, great. But the thing is, is that, or in even overtime. Because you have to show Boston that in 60 minutes you can beat that team. Tampa, you've got to beat them. I don't care how you beat them. you got to beat them. You, you, that's a team that you're, probably if you want to go deep in the playoffs, you're probably going to have to face at some point. Yeah. If you want a shot at that cup, that's a team you have to beat because they're out for blood after having with last season. Minnesota, they're kind of in it, but they're kind of not. So I, I think that possibly – um, you know, if you look at the West, they're at 75 points. They're one point out of a wild card. That's going to be a test for them, but they're going to push hard, and they already beat the Flyers once a season. Edmonton, they're either going to drop a game to Edmonton or they're going to drop it to Minnesota. One of the two. I mean, Edmonton can is first in the division, mm-hmm. in their division in the West. Um, there are 82 points. They're tied with the Golden Knights, and they've been inconsistent as of late. But I mean, who knows? It's Leon Drysdale and Connor McDavid. I mean, those guys can score on command. So, really, I think that if they drop a game, it would likely be towards the end of the week, either against Minnesota or Edmonton. I really think, the especially Flyers, because back to back. Yeah, and I, I, that too. And you're especially you're, that's going to be a hard enough thing as it is going back to back, coming with Edmonton, such a speed team that. It can burn you off the rush, as we saw at the beginning of the season. Yep. Um, I really think that's come down to this. They'll beat Boston, they'll beat Tampa, and they'll drop one or two. So I uh, to uh, Edmonton or Minnesota. Hopefully not both, but I think it could be a six point week. So that's going to do it for this week's episode of Orange and Backcheck, episode twenty. My God, we've already hit twenty episodes, and we're almost done the season. It's going to be a lot of fun this home stretch. Please follow us on Twitter and Facebook. Just search Orange and Backcheck Podcast. We'll be right there for you. Uh, Give us a follow if you're able to do it. Uh, We appreciate it. Uh, Or if you want to send us an email, at orangeandbackcheck at gmail.com. We always appreciate that. Review the podcast. We'll we'll read reviews as well. Uh, Just give us a five-star review or a one-star review if you think we're terrible. I don't care. I'll read it all the same. Thank you for listening. Uh, This is Orange and Backcheck. For Scott Weinhardt, I'm Bill Kornfeld. We'll talk to you next week. Bill fell on his ass.